0: morning. Reading this morning is from Colossians 3, 1-17, I'm trying to find my glasses in here. <laughs> Sorry. Living as those made alive in Christ, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on your new self, which is renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, And whatever you do, whether it is word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.
1: Good morning, everyone, both in church here and online. I think it doesn't really apply, but I think I can say this is the first time I've ever been on television. Probably the last time as well. As Martin has shown us how we dress says a lot about us, doesn't it? You look at someone you can tell whether they're going to play sport, whether they're possibly going to a funeral, whether they're going to Royal Ascot, how they're dressed will say a lot about them. Yet in Britain dress codes have changed so much over the last 50 years. Do you remember when people used to dress up on a Sunday in their Sunday-best clothes to go to church. I remember one lady, not so long ago, saying to me with real disdain in her voice, the young people in church now dress like they're going to a football match. Yet, if you looked at images of the crowd at the 1966 World Cup, for example, everyone, and it was mainly men, almost exclusively men, we're wearing collars and ties and jackets at a football match. Who dresses that way going to football matches these days? In my first teaching job, I wasn't allowed to take my jacket off in the classroom. That was known to be, as the head teacher told me, that would be unprofessional. No matter how hot it was, I wasn't allowed to take my jacket off. People sometimes dress to make a statement, power dressing wearing designer labels, or a teenager dressing to shock. But our attitude to clothes can say an awful lot about us. Do you tumble out of bed in the morning and grab the first thing that you find in the wardrobe? Then when you get into the light, you realize that you're wearing colors that don't really match, although it seems today almost any colors can go together. Or do you carefully decide the night before what you're going to wear the next day leave your clothes out tidily so that you're all ready the next morning or at night do you take off your clothes and leave them lying on the middle of the floor or do you fold them up and put them back in the wardrobe or put them into the wash basket whatever way you dress or undress what you do with your clothes reveals a lot about you and me as a person And the Apostle Paul uses the close analogy in the passage that we've just looked at in Colossians. But first, let us get a little bit of background about the people who were being addressed. The town of Colossae was located in the Lycus Valley in the province of Phrygia, modern-day Turkey, with its close neighbors of Laodicea and Hierapolis. The city or the town was destroyed by an earthquake in AD 60. It was then rebuilt, but later destroyed again, and it has never been excavated. So it's still lying in ruins. Paul was in prison when he wrote, probably in Ephesus, but through his ministry, a native of Colossae called Epaphras had come to faith in Christ and returning to his hometown to share the good news of the gospel. Colossians had come to faith in Christ, and a group of believers were meeting in the home of Philemon. At the time of writing this letter to them, Paul had never met them. He'd never been to Colossae, but he had heard reports about their faith and how they were growing in their knowledge of Christ. And so he commends them. In chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Chapter 5, uh, chapter 2, he says, del- he's delighted to see how disciplined they are in their faith and how firm they are in it. But we know that whenever a church is doing well, seeking to serve the Lord faithfully, the devil will always try to undermine it. Get in to the church and spoil what is happening. And Paul had also heard that this church, this young church of believers, were facing some problems. Mystics had come into the region, and they were teaching them that, yes, their faith was great, coming to faith in Christ was good, but that wasn't enough. Their faith to grow, they needed other experiences, mystical experiences. On the other hand, there were some from the what in other letters Paul calls the circumcision party. Some Orthodox Jews are from the Orthodox Jewish tradition, and they were saying, it's all very well to have faith in Christ, but you you need to add to that uh, keeping the Sabbath, circumcision, observing certain food laws. And so this young church were facing problems from two sides. Throughout the letter... Paul addresses that with one simple yet profound message. He says, Christ is supreme. He is preeminent. He is all in all. That is all you will need. The Colossians didn't need anything more or anything else or any special other religious experience. Jesus was all they needed. Having come to faith in Christ, they'd been utterly changed. They'd been raised with Christ, verse 1 that Dawn read. They'd died to their old way of living, and their lives were now hidden with Christ in God, verse 3. They would appear with Christ in glory, verse 4. They are chosen, holy, and dearly loved, verse 12. See, Paul is deliberately using phrases, terms here, where he calls them chosen, holy, and dearly loved that were used of the children of Israel in the Old Testament. And Paul was basically saying here that the special place, the special role that God had for the children of Israel, the original Hebrews, had now transferred and was with this new community of believers living in Christ in the Lycus Valley. The new relationship with God and Jesus had an impact on what they believed and how they behaved the new status and special instructions given to this small group of believers also applies to us today. It comes down through the centuries because we are also chosen and dearly loved by God and holy in his sight. We may feel insignificant, unimportant, but we've been chosen by God because he loves us. We're holy in his sight, not because of who we are, but because of Jesus and the sufficiency of his death on the cross for our sins. And that's God's plan for the world. And as followers of Jesus, we've become part of God's family. Therefore, God's instruction to us through what Paul writes is to show the family likeness in our attitudes and behavior. We were singing earlier that we've become a friend of God. We're part of God's family. And that's where Paul then moves and starts using the analogy of clothes. And in the same way as we take off old clothes and wash before we put on clean clothes, Paul's instruction to them is to get rid of, to put off, to put to death this dreadful litany of things that he lists as impurity, lust, sexual immorality, evil desires, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, Malice, slander, lies, and filthy speech. This is how we once behaved or thought, but now this must change. So Paul then moves on to a list of virtues and behavior that we need to put on. Or as the message version of this passage puts it, to dress in the wardrobe that God has picked out for you. Dress in the wardrobe that God has picked out for you and I. Paul lists those as compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. We've already noted that the physical clothes we wear says a lot about us. However, our physical clothes don't just appear out of the wardrobe and attach themselves to us, but need to be taken and put on. And so we need to be intentional about putting on these new virtues the spiritual clothes, as it were. As we examine them, we will see that they're all attributes of God himself. So if people see them in us, they'll be seeing a reflection of God himself. But let's look at just a little bit more detail at each of them. Compassion was the first one that was listed. Compassion literally means to suffer together, to have sympathy, empathy for the welfare and suffering or misfortune of others. It's much more than just having pity because showing compassion will lead to action, will lead to someone getting involved. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the story of Ruth. Boaz showed compassion. He got involved. He supplied food to the two widows. Later, he married Ruth. In Matthew chapter 9, we told that Jesus looked on the crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep Without a shepherd. Or when he saw the widow burying her only son, his heart went out to her. He was moved with compassion. The word in the Greek implies a physical reaction. We can almost say his stomach churned within him. And if we're filled with compassion, as we follow the example of Jesus, we cannot sit idly on the sidelines. We must be compelled to take action to try and resolve a situation, to bring comfort, give practical support, and help where we can. Sometimes it helps when we're thinking about a word or an, or an attitude to try and think, well, what would the opposite be? And The opposite of compassion would probably be uncaring and hard-hearted. Seeing the plight of others, we remain totally indifferent to it. We continue about our business without giving it a second thought, and certainly not getting involved to try and change the circumstances for that person. We walk away by that attitude. We basically say, I don't care, or certainly I don't care enough to, get out, to go out of my way to get involved. The second virtue that Paul lists is kindness. And kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit and actually flows out of being compassionate. And again, we take as our example the model of Jesus, healing the sick, touching the leper, taking children on his lap, feeding the hungry. In every situation, he takes the initiative to try and alleviate suffering. Wherever there's a human need, there's an opportunity for kindness. Recently, I was on holiday in Whitby all around me, there were signs to beware of the seagulls attacking for food. I decided to spend all my pocket money for that week on a special ice cream, white chocolate and raspberry. It was, or I thought it would be delicious. I was just about to sit down at the harbor. I was holding the ice, the cone close to my chest when a seagull swooped over my shoulder with such speed and force that it knocked the ice cream out of my hand onto the ground. And Within seconds, probably five to ten seagulls had lit on it, it was gone. Claire said I could have an advance on my pocket money for the next week and so I could go back and get a second one. I went back to the shop and because it was only a couple of minutes, the girl recognized that I'd just been in before. So I told her the story of the gulls. She handed me my replacement and wouldn't charge me. I think she took pity on an old man crying over his (laughs) lost ice cream. It's a bit of a frivolous example, but it's kindness and compassion being shown in a really practical way. The opposite of kindness is harshness. Behaving with a a mean spirit or just being indifferent to the needs that present it. What are some of the ways that you and I can be the hands, the feet, the mouth of Christ in someone's life today? The third virtue is humility. And humility is defined as a quality of having a modest or a low view of one's importance, a freedom from pride and arrogance. Humble people acknowledge that they don't have it all together. They know the difference between self-confidence and pride. They seek to add value to others. They're filled with gratitude for what they have. The New Testament has lots of references to being humble. Ephesians 4 verse 2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Philippians 2 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves. Romans 12, verse 10. Honor one another above yourselves. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. All of you, again this phrase, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. I don't want to be opposed by God. So the attitude to being humble, or the opposite to being humble, is obviously being pride, And there's no place for pride in my life or in the life of a Christian. The fourth attribute or virtue is gentleness, another one of the fruit of the Spirit. And the word can better be translated, or can also be translated as meekness. Though meekness is sometimes confused, with weakness but a better understanding of the word is strength under control again Paul writing to the church in Ephesus said be completely humble and gentle humility and gentleness or meekness going together in 2nd Corinthians Paul writes by the humility and gentleness of Christ that's the example we're following Christ, even though he was the creator of all things, willingly laid down his rights and endured the cross for us. It was not the weakness or the nails that held Christ to the cross. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have left the cross at any time, but he didn't. He stayed on the cross because of his love for us. That is strength under control. and The opposite of being gentle is brutal, heavy handed, rough, ungracious. The last one that's given is patience. Again, one of the fruits of the Spirit. In Colossians also, chapter 1, Paul writes, Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Or in Timothy, he writes, But for that very reason I was shown great mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for all those who believe in him and receive eternal life. If it wasn't for the patience of Jesus with me, I don't know where I'd be. I'm a slow learner, reluctant at times to do what he's asking me to do. But the other song we sing, he never gives up, never gives up, me that's the patience that he shows to me and to you I suspect like me as you reflect on this list you may feel an utter and complete failure I fall so far short in just about every one of them of course there are times when I display the virtues that are listed but very often I don't or at times I manage to keep a lid on my feelings though inside I'm seething Other times, I let rip. I'm unable to control my response. Just for a moment, reflect on just a few areas of life that I've chosen and honestly assess as you think if you and I display compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience in these areas. In the home with your family, that's where people really see what we're like, where we let down our guard. In your workplace or school, again, people with whom we spend a lot of time, and so they get the chance to see the real you and me. As you drive, does your personality change when you get behind the wheel of a car? Do you cut people off, randomly break speed limits, blare your horn at the slightest misdemeanor of another driver? As you play sport, are you too aggressive, a bad loser? As you shop, my sister-in-law used to work in a supermarket and her job was to mark down the items as they came to their sell-by date. And she used to talk about the shoppers with sharp elbows. Are you a shopper with sharp elbows? On social media, there's so much hate and abuse being peddled on social media. Are the posts that you put up different? Are they controlled, measured, showing grace and respect? When Christ did his work of regeneration in our hearts, We're completely transformed. We've become new creations. And the work that begins within within us will change how we think and behave. Though we have to recognize that it will take a lifetime to work this through to perfection. And we'll only be in fact perfected when we reach heaven itself. As we've seen, the perfect example of these virtues is Jesus. If we're part of his family, we should be showing the family likeness, displaying the family traits. The Bible was written to a culture that greatly esteemed honor. Honor came when you kept the rules. You were well thought of in the community. You brought honor to your family by keeping the rules, you brought shame by disobeying the rules when your behavior was not what was expected by the society you are part of. By our behavior, are we bringing honor or are we bringing shame to God and his family? Someone once asked a Christian, do you struggle with the parts of the Bible you don't understand? And the reply he got was, no, I struggle more with the parts I do understand. And that's really how I feel about this passage. You don't need a degree in theology to understand what's going on here, what Paul is saying to us. The real issue is putting it into practice consistently in our lives. When we live to please ourselves and do what we want, the behavior patterns are the ones that Paul asks us to put off, to put to death. Then the virtues we are to put on so that we show Christ by our our lives all display themselves in our relationships where we put the welfare and needs of others before our own. As Paul goes on to spell out in the verses following that Don read to us and that others will be following, following through and speaking on in the weeks to come, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience will become evident in our relationships in the home, between husband and wife, between parents and children, and in the workplace. They're so different from the standards we normally come across. In essence, they are Christian counterculture. I read a quote from a writer called Stephen Winward where he said this, progress and holiness can best be measured not by the length of time we spend in prayer, Not by the number of times we go to church, nor by the amount of money we contribute to God's work. Not by the range and depth of our knowledge of the Bible, but rather by the quality of our personal relationships. D.L. Moody, the 19th century American evangelist, said once, Out of 100 men, one will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian." As my family, neighbors, work colleagues, friends read me, do they read compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience? Or do they read someone who's uncaring, harsh, hard-hearted, proud, impatient, thinking always about themselves first and foremost? When we get new clothes, it can sometimes feel a bit awkward and scratchy when we put them on for the first generally they become more comfortable as time goes on and we wear them time and again so these virtues may not seem natural or comfortable with us when we try to put them into practice at first but we need to persevere and with the help of the holy spirit make a conscious effort to put off the old traits and put on the new ones What clothes do those you mix with see you wearing? Are they impressed by how you dress or do they see a wardrobe malfunction? Impressed by the work God has done in your life, how he has changed you and is showing Jesus through you as you reflect how Jesus himself lived when he was on earth. How God treats us. How you intentionally and consciously put others first. Maintain good personal relationships. Someone people generally enjoy being around. So as you dress tomorrow morning, don't only think about the clothes you're putting on, the physical clothes. Think about the spiritual clothes as well. And join me in praying that as people look at us They will not only see our actual clothes, our physical clothes, but they will see compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience in all that we do and say.